So often we treat it as a numbers game. And when you are chasing a quota, you forget a little bit that you are just interacting with a human. It's not business to business. It's actually human to human. Welcome to the State of Sales Enablement Podcast with your host, Felix Kruger. Insights and actionable advice from B2B marketing and sales experts that share what it takes to achieve sales enablement excellence. Sales enablement fuels the ambitions of fast-growing startups that seek the promised land of unlimited scale. So how can organizations strike a balance between hypergrowth and the human element of sales that is required to be truly biocentric? This is one of the questions I attempted to tackle with our guest in this week's episode, which is all about the human element of sales. Please welcome the Sales Enablement Director of ReachDesk and host of the Stay Human podcast, Melvina L. Sayeh. Melvina, welcome back to the State of Sales Enablement. Thank you so much for having me back on again. So, Melvina, for the few people that don't know you, and especially for those people that have missed out on the last episode of you on the podcast, Briefly tell us, what's your background and what do you do now? Who is Melvina? Who is Melvina? Melvina is a mom of two little kids. She lives in London. She has an amazing husband. And she's super passionate about sales enablement. So I'm in enablement currently at a scale-up called ReachDesk that does gifting and direct mail. But I found my passion many years ago in the corporate world. And then since then, that has become my day-to-day. -day. Awesome. You also run a podcast called Stay Human, which is a, first of all, a name that I absolutely love, but also a notion that I absolutely love. I think it's an extremely hot topic at the moment, considering the amount of money that is being thrown into automation and scale. And when it comes to the share of mind, oftentimes talent seems to take the back seat, you know, when it comes to those sort of tech investments. And I'm really curious to explore the topic with you. And from your point of view, with so much effort at the moment to drive scale and automation and B2B sales, what do you think are the qualities that we as humans really bring to the table? Yeah, great question. So I think it boils down to the first element of everyone wants to be customer centric. And I think I, I watched one of your podcasts, actually, where you were talking about this exact concept of being customer centric, right? And everyone talks about it, but then when it comes to practice, it's not always as we think it should be. I think the key thing that we have to remember is, yes, we may have targets and we may have quotas and we are being pushed to close, right? To close that deal. But I think what we have to remember is we are all humans, right? I'm interacting with you and Very much the way that we connect is built on certain elements of likability. Very important. We can't forget about it. Trust. You know, do I trust you? Do you trust me? Are you comfortable to have that conversation with me? And I think we as humans bring so many of those elements into the sales process. But so often we treat it as a numbers game. And when you are chasing a number or chasing a quota, you forget a little bit that you are just interacting with a human, right? It's not business to business. It's actually human to human. It's, it's me speaking with another person. And I think that's why I called my podcast Stay Human, because no matter the quotas, the targets, and everything else that's going on, 
we're not closing a deal. We're interacting with a person, right? We're trying to gain their trust. We're trying to convey the message. We're trying to understand what their pains and challenges are. And I think when you're chasing that number, you forget that it's not about you. It's not about you closing. It's not about you hitting that target or that goal, but it's about you helping the person, right? And if I can genuinely help you, if I genuinely know that what I'm selling or what I'm representing or the company that I work for can help you, then awesome. But it's that small shift in mindset, not chasing that number, but actually genuinely having that interest in the person. I think this has been true even before the pandemic, but I think the particular challenge that a lot of organizations have now is to remind themselves of that fact, of that truth, especially now that everybody is interacting remotely. You know, you have limited face time of actually building that human connection face to face and that screen might show a human, but at the end of the day, it's not the same experience. So I think the sales reps and sales teams as well that remind themselves of that fact these days, they definitely have an advantage. Yeah, absolutely. Look, I think we all have Zoom fatigue, right? We are on Zoom the whole day, every day and getting a hold of person. It's not as it was when you were back in the office, right? Back in the office, you can walk up to someone, ask a question, connect, sync, and kind of get on with your day. Yes, there are a lot more distractions, but you have that element of communicating with a person face-to-face. But I think what the pandemic has also shown us is that we can be just as efficient, if not more, working remotely. But it does require us to flex a little bit. Initially, for all those sellers that were used to having face-to-face interactions, driving to the customer or taking a taxi to the customer and then having a debrief maybe with their manager or a colleague in the taxi on the way back to the office, that doesn't exist anymore. So I think we have to flex, right? It is more difficult to build those relationships when we're constantly talking to everyone on Zoom. But I think we have to be a little bit vulnerable and try to be as human as possible. Have those interactions where we are being genuine so that other person, even if Felix is sitting in Australia, he can feel, well, Malvina's genuine. Malvina cares. Malvina maybe disclosed that she has two little kids and now I feel I know her just that little bit better. It's all those elements that ultimately end up building up. The way that we also talk to people on Zoom, and I know I'm not doing this in the right way because I should be looking at the camera and talking to you like this, right? But these are all small little elements. And if I'm talking to you like this, then Felix feels, oh my gosh, she's looking at me, right? That's right. Rather than talking to someone, but actually being like this or, you know, looking down, right? It's all those little things that we have to remember when we're communicating with people on Zoom. That's right. That's right. (laughs) Yeah, it always helps to uh, build a connection if you are start out as the random person from the internet that's trying to sell you a multi, you know, a deal in the tens of thousands. Anything that positions yourself as trustworthy and somebody who builds a connection can help on that front for sure. Yeah. And also think of it this way. Back in the day, you know, to schedule a meeting with a prospect, yes, you have to account for the taxi ride. You have to account for the commute. You have to block out time in the diary. You have to get that meeting room booked. All those challenges, we kind of forgot about them. Now, if I want to schedule 15 or 20 minutes just for a quick sync, it's easier. 
right? Because everyone just opens their calendar. Yes, it's pretty slammed and probably people have only small little blocks where they're actually available, but it's not that big of a commitment also as it was before where you had to take that journey. You had to make it really official. You can just jump on a Zoom and continue building that relationship. And I'm not saying, look, you meet with someone once, you're vulnerable, you, you show you're likable, you build that element of trust and it's done and dusted. I think it takes a few conversations. It takes a few interactions to get there. And if you're genuine, I truly believe that people will see that you are genuine. If you're not rushing to show them that product and run straight into the demo, but actually ask those questions, well, so what's going on, right? Why is that a challenge? And hey, if we don't fix it, what impact is that going to have? And who else should we be involving in these conversations that we're having? And walk me through a little bit of what you tried and what has worked and what hasn't worked and why it failed. It's making those little strides to ultimately build that know, like, and trust factor with our customers. You're touching on a few concepts and qualities of that human interaction, like the things that lead to trust and to that connection that's being built, even if you interact remotely. When we look at the competition that's now going on between AI, in some cases, and humans, you know, we're essentially in a labor market competing with each other. From your point of view, like what are some of the human qualities that can and cannot be replaced by AI in our lifetime, let's say over the next 30, 40 years? I think to truly be able to help someone, and this may sound a little bit like a cliche, but you have to try and walk a little bit in their shoes. And what I mean by that is really genuinely try to understand what's happening in their world. Be empathetic. You might not have lived it, you might not have experienced it, but you want to understand it. And I don't think that can ever be replaced by AI. I don't think that element of empathy can be replaced by AI. I think where uh, AI can help sellers is by taking care of those mundane tasks. No one wants to update the CRM. Let's face it, that's the number one hassle for all sellers out there. Let AI do it, right? If we're in a meeting, we have the transcript recording. If AI is able to pick out the key bits, key objections, key features that the prospect really like, awesome, put that in the CRM for me. I think AI can help us be more efficient, but I don't think AI will ever replace that human-to-human -human interaction. And look, I'm sure you've had experiences yourself. Maybe you're looking at a product or service, you're on the website, and there's that little automatic chatbot. You ask a question, it pops up an article. You read that article, maybe you ask another question. But there comes a point where you say, please, can I just speak to a human being? Please, can someone just call me? I just have a few questions that I need to ask or, you know, I need to understand something. And that chatbot is awesome, right? It can surface information to you that they know is coming up frequently from customers or prospects, but it's never going to replace that interaction that I can have with you where I can freely ask you questions and in five minutes or 10 minutes, my query is solved. So. I think AI definitely working with sellers to help them, but I don't think we'll get to a point where everyone will be comfortable making all of their decisions, dealing with a bot on the other side. That's right. That's right. And especially considering, at least for now as well, some of the automation fails and scaling fails that you still see, there's still always that case of the algorithm not programmed correctly or some sort of false information being used and it not working. So I think 
considering you mentioned know, like, and trust earlier, of course you can know an algorithm and maybe you can trust an algorithm if it's reliable enough, but I don't think you can like an algorithm, especially when it comes to humor or the empathy. I don't think anybody will ever say, ah, I really like dealing with this algorithm. I really like dealing with Google's algorithm as opposed to Amazon's algorithm. I don't think that will ever happen. Yeah, absolutely. And look, I think we've all been in situations where we were purchasing something and we're, we were dealing with a seller on the other side. And I'm sure you've had an instance where you walked away and you say, wow, that was such a good conversation. I really felt like he understood exactly what was happening. And I almost felt like I was talking to a friend who had that genuine interest of helping me rather than talking to someone who wants to sell you something. I think Amazon is a great example. I'm just going to throw it out there. You know, you have any issue. Yes, you can read, you know, go to their customer service. But the minute you are connected to an individual, and I think this is what they have done very great. Obviously, they're super quick, super fast and efficient with delivering all your parcels, making sure you get them on the day. But I remember that particular instance where it was my son's birthday party and I ordered little ducks and a little paddling pool. And I was thinking it was going to be like hook a duck. You get to hook the duck in this big pool filled with water and the kids can have fun. I ordered this thing from Amazon. It came and it was literally this size. Okay, it was a miniature. <laughs> so I ended up calling Amazon and saying, look, I ordered something. We opened it. My son already filled this little thing with water. He's happy. It's tiny. It's small. It's cute, but it's not what I expected. Absolutely no problem. We'll refund you the money and hey. Pick what it is that you really want. We'll send it to you, no charge. And if you want to return this thing to us, return it. But if not, don't worry, just keep it <laughs> and we'll send you the correct item. And I'm like, oh my gosh, you know, he understood. I had a birthday party. I needed to get this fixed. I felt like I had that great service. Would I have been able to have that same experience? And I know we're talking about regular, ordinary challenges and interactions that we had. But I ask myself, would I be able to have that same experience if I was dealing with a bot? Probably not. Your item has been delivered. Unless it's faulty, <laughs> it cannot be returned. Maybe speak to someone on our customer support team. So ultimately, it's like all roads lead to Rome. And all roads will lead you to an individual at some point. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Yeah, I can only confirm. Like, that's the exact experiences that I have. Like, I don't think I've ever walked away from a chatbot interaction feeling really satisfied. Yeah. It sometimes can get the job done, but it's I haven't come across any automated or scaled experience that is designed in a way that it was really wild and where I really walked away and said that was great. I think even B2B where a lot of investment decisions are made like on paper in a really rational way. Yeah. And it's all about the numbers and the returns or the cost savings or whatever it might be. On paper, it might be rational, but I think even that business decision is still being made by emotional beings, right? And every human, no matter how serious or how structured that person might be, is still an emotional being. And even if that emotion is just trust or confidence yeah. in moving forward, or as you said, walking away from a meeting and actually feeling excited about further dealing with a company and getting things done, I think these are all reflections of emotional beings. And I think emotional beings still don't really respond well to machines. And I think it will be a while until we get to that stage. Yeah. And think about it this way, right? We don't buy from a company. We may think we are, yeah, but we're buying from that particular individual. 
God forbid you have an experience with a seller or an AE who's really unfriendly, has that commission breath, really wants to close you, is rushing the entire process. How likely are you to interact with them again? Probably not. How likely are you to look at the competition for another conversation? Probably very likely. There could be nothing wrong with that company. The product can be absolutely incredible. And I've had situations like this happen to me in the past. But if my experience isn't what I expected, and if I didn't get tickled in all the right places in those conversations, I probably ended then and there. And I've had that happen to me where I know the product was strong, but my experience was awful. And that's it. It's very easy to burn that bridge. So we don't buy from companies. We buy from the other individuals. And that's why it's always a human to human experience. And those sellers, those AEs, they are the front line. They are that image of that company. And if your image is customer-centric and you care deeply about the customer, then those individuals also have to surface that. They have to make that visible. They have to make it visible that we care about the other person. So if we go back to the sales tech side of things, and let's be honest, sales tech is not going to go away. There's still that promise of great scale and automation and especially startups and scale-ups that have had a lot of investment and they just need to deliver those returns. And they're under so much pressure that those sort of promises are really tempting and they invest in sales tech. How do you think companies can strike the balance between really benefiting of that human element and the qualities that humans bring to the table versus the promise of scale through automation and AI? I think scalability is one element of it, but the other element is efficiency. And I think the challenge that we see now is that lots of companies are bringing on lots of tech, lots of new tools. How many emails do you get on a daily basis? Hey, this great piece of tech, this great tool, it can save you time. Those promises, what I like to call them initially, right? Or those hopes and aspirations, they all sound great, but it's very easy to go down the route of purchasing lots of tech and then not being efficient with it. And if you're not efficient with it, my question is, how is it helping you to scale? So I think utilizing AI, utilizing technology, the question that we have to ask is, how is this going to help us become more efficient? How is it going to work within our existing ecosystem of tech that we have brought on board? And if all those things are ticked, then yes, scalability is possible. But it could very much also be a hindrance if you're not using it in the right way. If you've brought on board all this great tech, but your processes are just not efficient, your processes are not reflective of what the sellers or the commercial team is doing on a day-to-day -day basis, that's a hindrance and that becomes a problem. And then that's a problem that you have to unwind. I think you have to strike that right balance. If you're able to bring on tech to help you become more efficient, awesome then let's focus on all the things that we as individuals can do better when we are interacting with our prospects and customers. We all talk about soft skills. Everyone talks about soft skills, soft skills training. Well, what is soft skills training? Soft skills training is nothing more than human to human training. It's about asking the right questions. It's about understanding objections. It's about not becoming defensive. It's about really hearing what the other person is saying. And I think that's what it boils down for me when we think about AI sellers and really leveraging that entire landscape? I think from my experience, 
there's kind of two types of organizations that I interact with. One is the ones that are really excited about sales tech and that spend lots of money on it and essentially want to drive their sales effectiveness through tech, but they put the tech first. Yeah. That's the number one, but I hardly ever see it working. So oftentimes there's a realization sooner rather than later that a lot of it is wasted. And as you said, some of the tools even introduce friction throughout the sales process and actually make salespeople less effective, increase the admin effort and so on. In very few cases, I've seen it work where actually the knowledge brought to the table by tech vendors has helped sales organizations becoming better, but it's really the exception. What I've seen working though, from a tech perspective is doing things manually first and having it driven by manual interactions from sellers with the market, but also internal processes. And then after identifying what works on that front, then actually looking at what tech can actually add value in the way that sellers interact with buyers in the way that tech actually increases the effectiveness of internal processes and so on. But I think even then it should not be replaced fully where it makes sense. I think the human interaction and the customization, especially with the buyer interaction is still something that greatly benefits of being driven by a person. And I don't know about you, but I can tell every single time I get an email that's automatically generated or that's just swapping out my name or whatever it might be. I don't think people's radar is so off that they wouldn't recognize that. We see these examples all the time, right? Like I received emails in the past where I know that there is an automation tool or there is a cadence being used, but I received emails that said, hey, first name. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. I'm like, oh, you didn't go in and actually change my name in there. Okay, that's why I'm receiving this email. But another great example is also banks and the financial industry is utilizing tech a lot. And a very basic example is, hey, you want to call your bank because you have a question. When you call the bank, you get all of these automated responses. How many times do you find yourself tapping fives or zero, right? In hopes that you're going to quickly get through to a live person. Uh, All the time. You know, we're trying to bypass that a little bit. But I think all organizations have to be open to new tech. There's lots of advancements being made. In our previous episode, we talked about content management solutions and learning, you know, solutions, right? And automating that process of feeding the information, that's also technology playing a role in how we interact on a daily basis. I think we have to be open to it. I'm not saying every single email, every single approach and every single great tech is going to be right for you. But to your point, map it out first, write it down and let's see where we can gain efficiency and become more productive by bringing in the right technology. Rather than forcing people into the seller's journey. I love it. Yeah. So when we look at the human element of sales, what can sales leaders and sales enablement leaders really do to nurture that quality that people bring to the table in the sales process, especially now that more and more technology is being introduced? Like, how can we really identify and nurture those sort of human qualities? Yeah, I think it's a great question. And I think it boils down to those soft skills, right? Methodology process, it's all one thing, but how do you execute on it? How do you bring it to life? How do you show that you're actively listening? And especially in the world of sales, the number one thing that we talk about is be an active listener. What ends up happening is we're listening, but already here we're thinking about what's the next question that I'm going to ask? 
I have to remember to cover this. And we're not actively listening. And I catch myself doing this. I'm guilty of it. You're probably guilty of it. But how do we do it effectively that, hey, if I'm speaking to Felix right now, I am genuinely speaking to Felix, right? I'm trying to understand what's happening on your side. I'm not checking if anyone sent me a message or seeing if that email came in or if someone messaged me on LinkedIn, but I'm really in the moment. And I think for revenue leaders, sales leaders out there, it's really all about honing those soft skills. How do you ensure that your team is having those great conversations, that they're hearing objections that might be coming up, but they're not defensive to it. They're not jumping to conclusions. They're trying to understand why that objection is even coming up. Why did it appear? Is it because of some misinformation? Is it because we haven't clarified something? And it's trying to understand that entire landscape. And the more that we can listen in an active way and really be present in the moment, be confident in asking those questions, challenging potentially the customer in the sales process, there's probably a solution for everything. Every product that we're selling now, there's already a solution, right? Maybe it's not AI, maybe it's not tech, maybe you're doing it manually. But what we're selling always is not a product or a service. We're selling change. You're selling change. And that change is, how do I change? Why should I change? I'm, I'm working fine right now. I might be doing things manually. But it's also challenging that customer on his beliefs, what he knows, and ultimately driving that change forward. I think something that I also hear more and more often is that the belief around what sort of qualities a good salesperson brings to the table is changing now, especially with digital communication, those sort of soft skills that you touched on are becoming more and more important. And I have spoken to a couple of sales leaders actually that have literally articulated that their preferred profile right now for salespeople is like, there's two kinds of people that they prefer, like on paper, obviously before they dive deeper into their experience and their capabilities and whatnot, but they would always prefer number one introverts because they're better listeners and number two females because they're more empathetic and they have better ability to empathize with the customers. So I think yeah. if you think about the sort of profile and that stereotype of that aggressive, outgoing salesperson, I think that really changes especially with technology playing a bigger and bigger part in sales. I think over time, those sort of profiles of the more empathetic and good listeners that would really will provide sellers with a advantage out in the labor market. Yeah. And I think those people will very soon, from my point of view, be very hot property in B2B sales. I'll add a third a trait maybe to that, and that is coachability. I think for sellers, question that appears in many interview processes, are you coachable? And the way that we test for it is maybe we'll give you a role play. Maybe we'll give you feedback afterwards. We'll give it another go. And are you taking on board that feedback? And we all say, yes, I'm coachable. I'm open to feedback, right? But when it happens in real life, we may not always react in the same way that we said we would. And we all know as sellers, we think we do things in the best way possible. I already know how to sell this product. I know how to have great conversations. I don't need any training. <laughs> I have it all. And it's also that element of how open are you to learning new things? And especially at the rate in which the world is changing. And I tell this to my son every day. He's six. But I say, look, things are going to be changing quickly. What we have today might be different tomorrow, but we have to learn to adapt. 
maybe we're using this piece of tech today, but we might be using something else tomorrow. We have to adapt and change and be nimble. And I think that's what sellers also have to remember. What works today is not guaranteed to work tomorrow, the month after, or even the year after. And we have to personally be on this journey of constantly improving, just like AI is constantly improving. Alexa has gotten so much better. Siri, okay, still work in progress, right? But we also have to continue getting better and adapting with the times. Well, on that note, if people want to develop their human skills in sales and want to learn more about how they can improve, where can they listen to your podcast? And what are some of the other ways they can find you online and connect with you? Yeah, absolutely. So please connect with me on LinkedIn. I'm available under Melvina Elsayek on LinkedIn. If you would like to tune into the Stay Human podcast, that's available on Apple, on Spotify, on Google, anywhere you listen to your podcast. And of course, check out the Enablement Brew, which is another series I run with my co-host, Carly Lehner. Melvina, thank you so much for joining. Thank you so much for having me on. Next time on The State of Sales Enablement. There are a lot of people that lean on their laurels of, I was a rock star at XYZ company. I went to President's Club 12 times. That's great for the company that you worked at, but that's not where you are now.